0: You're listening to The Andrew Miller Show. This episode, we're talking with Howie Hawkins, Green Party candidate for governor of New York. For those who do not already know, Howie Hawkins was the Green Party candidate for president of the United States in 2020. He was also the Green Party candidate for governor of New York in 2010, 2014, and 2018. In 2014, he received 5% of the vote the most for any independent Progressive Party candidate for governor in New York in almost a century. On the local level, he ran for city council in Syracuse in 1993 and again in 2011. His vote grew from 3% the first time to 48% the next time. He also received 35% of the citywide vote for a city auditor in 2015. Howie Hawkins has been an active organizer in movements for civil rights, peace, labor, environment, and independent progressive politics since 1967. He's been at this for a while now. But for now, let's hear what he has to say. Hello, Howie Hawkins. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Glad to hear that. So running for governor of New York, and I'm glad to have a candidate running for governor of New York on this program, because back in March, I came across a clear example of why we do need more than two options. I mean, I, there's a million examples. Why throughout the years uh, regarding any state basically, but back in March, I, came across some news that Governor Hochul proposed a budget for the state that would cut children and family services funding by $800 million. And then just a couple days later, I'm seeing all, I'm from all kinds of news sources, I'm reading about New York taxpayers will pay $850 million for Buffalo Bill's new stadium. So putting those right next to each other, that's not a good look. And we all know that if this was happening under a Republican governor, we already know who who would be doing all the finger wagging and voter shaming saying, hey, this is why they need to get voted out. And the only way to vote them out is to vote Democrat. But as you see, Democrat doing the same type of thing from that particular crowd, of course you hear crickets. So uh, what
1: do you make of that? Well, what we've got is a Democrat who's a neoliberal corporate centrist, Kathy Hochul. And the Republicans are, you know, competing for the Trump vote and, you know, are extreme. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they, Hochul wants to give a billion to the Buffalo Bills billionaire owner and cut these benefits for low-income people. And we've got a serious poverty problem, particularly upstate. Oh yeah, my city of Syracuse ranks number one in the country according to U.S. Census data. Ooh, in child poverty and family poverty. Buffalo is second in child poverty, third in family poverty. I'm sorry, Rochester is second in child poverty and third in family poverty. Buffalo is sixth in the nation in both child poverty and family poverty, but There is no anti-poverty program in the state budget. Instead, it's not just a billion for the Buffalo billionaire who got his money in fracking, it's uh, $10 billion in tax credits to uh, chip manufacturers, computer chip manufacturers that may locate in New York. So a lot of corporate welfare, but not much uh, social welfare for the people. So the problem here in New York is they changed the ballot access laws. So they doubled the frequency. We have to qualify for the ballot from every four years for governor to every two years for president and governor, president governor, and so forth. Uh, They more than tripled the number of votes we need. So in 2020, uh, the previous standard was 50,000. The new standard is 2%, which in 2020 was 173,000. Wow. So just about three and a half times more votes, and we lost the ballot line. And then they get back on the ballot. They increase the signatures required in 42 days. Most states don't have a time limit. You know, you you just have you know unlimited time or or many many months to get your signatures. We only have 42 days. Wow. So they increased it from 15,000 to 45,000. And I started looking around the country and around the world to find. Uh, comparable petitions, and the nearest uh, petition I could find was one third as hard, which was in Putin's Russia. You want to run as uh, for the highest office from an oblast, which is like you know their states, uh, and that's uh, running as an independent for the state Duma. And uh, sorry about that. It's okay uh, for the state Duma in Russia. It's 15,000 signatures in 45 days. The old New York standard was 15,000 in 42 days, a little bit harder. But So we have a bill that we have drafted and have been shopping around to the Democratic legislators. And I tell them, we just want to get back to the Putin standard. <laughs> and they chuckle and they say, yeah, you're right, but we're not going to do it till after the election because we don't want the governor on our back when we're trying to get re election So here we are. We submitted a petition. Uh, We didn't have 45,000 signatures, uh, but there were seven independent nominating petitions for governor submitted. And the chair of the Democratic Party and his minions in Nassau County, where he's also the chair of the Nassau County Democrats, uh, challenged all those petitions. And I think he's going to be able to knock all of them off. So we're going to have an election where you got a centrist Democrat and a very extreme conservative Republican, progressives will have nobody to vote for. So if, we don't, if we're not on a ballot, we're gonna still run a writing campaign to at least give progressives the opportunity to vote for fair elections, fair ballot access. Uh, we want a multi-party uh, democracy and inclusive democracy. So we're campaigning for ranked choice voting for executive offices and proportional representation in the legislature through ranked choice voting for multi-member districts, uh, a Medicare for all state level program, uh, building public renewables through the New York Power Authority, um, an anti-poverty program, including uh, guaranteed income above poverty, which was the big demand that Martin Luther King was campaigning for at the end of his life. So we have a whole lot of programs that people can vote for, but they, they won't be able to vote for them unless they write us in if we're not on the ballot. So that's where we're at in New York. Well, wow. do you
0: think you have a good chance on being on the ballot?
1: No, we, we, we oh. didn't get 45,000 signatures. Uh, we knew we were short. We submitted our petition, our signatures, and uh, actually the, the objectors counted them for us because we didn't even bother counting all the signatures. It came out to 7,967, which is a lot of signatures to collect in 42 days, but- Oh, sure. And, you know, now we got to collect in the spring. It used to be in the summer when there were lots of farmers markets and festivals and opportunities to meet people on the street. Plus, we were the epicenter in upstate New York of the latest Omicron wave, the BA2 variant. So I was campaigning in a mask with hand sanitizer in my back pocket. And a lot of people would say, stay away from me. I don't want to get cold. (laughs) So it was hard to get signatures.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, really, that's what I've been hearing a lot because of the pandemic, trying to gather signatures was a little more challenging. And then it doesn't help that they changed the rules on that and made it even tougher, which we know they're doing on purpose and all that. I mean, luckily, everyone, everyone's heard of you by now. I mean, you, you, you ran for president in 2020. But in New York, you ran for governor before you've ran for local office in Syracuse you've gotten a really, really amazing percentage of the vote some years from what I'm seeing, you know, for somebody who's not a Democrat or Republican. So that's, so that's good. So at least, uh, you know, you have the name recognition and enough people who, yeah, do want change as well. You know, cause yeah, I watched a little bit of the, I caught a little bit of the Republican New York uh, primary debate last night and, yeah, it's they're mostly just trying to appeal to like Trump voters, that you know, that that crowd. And then a while ago, I caught a little bit of the Democratic primary debate. And there was only there's one candidate up there who did mention Buffalo and parts of Buffalo that are, you know, food deserts and transit deserts as well. I'm like, all right, well, that's good that someone's mentioning that. And I'm not sure if he has any chance of winning that primary. Because in the past, like the last time I watched a Democratic gubernatorial primary from New York, it was Cuomo versus Cynthia Nixon. It sounded like two people running for mayor of New York City, basically. Like, yeah, they'll talk about the MTA and the subway system. But, you know, I wasn't hearing any talk about transportation in Rochester or Buffalo, you know, because there are other cities in New York as well. And they, as everyone in upstate New York knows, they do get neglected.
1: Yeah, upstate does get neglected. That debate, Between uh, Cuomo and Nixon, they did no questions or no comments on upstate. Um, The guy you mentioned in this year's election, the progressive is Jumaane Williams. He's a public advocate for New York City. But he's polling. He's lucky in the polls to break 10%. Mm. Cynthia Nixon and before her, Zephyr Teachout running against Cuomo got about a third of the vote in the primaries. And then, yeah, I run for governor three times. And in 2014, I got 5% of the vote. Which is as much as any third party's got in the long history of third parties, or at least third party on the left, going back to the Liberty Party in 1840. And I think that's why they targeted us to change the ballot access laws. Because after that election, you know, Cuomo had wanted to run up the vote, get more than his daddy, Mario Cuomo, ever got, more than he got in 2010 when he was first elected, and he got less. And he had to look at the people that voted for me and what we were demanding. And he had to accommodate us. He, we got a ban on fracking. We got a $15 minimum wage. We got fa- paid family leave. Things that Cuomo had never supported until the results of that election came in. Wow. So you don't have to win the office to leverage uh, some change. And of course, in, you know, in the Syracuse area, I mean, I've got as high as 48% running for city council. Many times over 40% or 35% citywide. So you know, we do have a base here. And for me to get 5% statewide when I'm not in New York City and not really in the media down there that often, you know, was uh, pretty significant. And the idea that with that kind of support, we can't be on the ballot in New York. I mean, I'm sick and tired of hearing the Democrats whine about the Republican voter suppression and changing or getting control of election administration so they can steal elections. That all has to be condemned, but the Democrats are suppressing the vote too. Oh, yeah. When you suppress the Green Party, you're suppressing Green Party voters. That's voter suppression. It is. It's what authoritarian governments do. And it's what the Democrats are doing in New York. I mean, we know from the 2016 exit polls that nationwide, 61% of Jill Stein's vote, voters, she was the Green presidential candidate that year, yep. would have stayed home if she was not on the ballot. So to suppress the Green Party is to suppress votes and voters. And uh, that's what we got here in New York. And it's coming from the Democrats. I mean, this is a state where the Democrats have super majorities in both chambers of the legislature. They have the governorship. And we can't get the uh, basic progressive legislation passed. We, in fact, we got a bill called New York Health Plan, which is a state-level Medicare for All Plan. First passed the state assembly in, in the early 1990s. Hmm. Passed many times there. Democrats kept saying, well, give us control of the state Senate and we'll get it passed. Well, they got control in 2018. And since then, that bill has not got out of committee in either the Assembly or the Senate. And we know that the insurance companies are pouring money into the Democratic Party coffers. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's why we need a Green Party. So to, you know, push that through. And we need to start electing Greens, not just uh, leveraging the votes we get to put pressure on the people down there. You know, we, we need a real change. You know, we're going to have high poverty upstate. Um, you know, there's the climate action plan, you know, they passed one that was weaker than the one we were advocating in 2018. And that was in 2019, they passed it. And then, uh, it hasn't been implemented. It hasn't been funded. They're still studying what they call a scoping plan, basically a plan. And, uh, meanwhile, planet's burning up.
0: Oh, Wow. And it's a shame that how they're doing that in New York State make it even tougher for third parties, because I went to college in New York State. I went to SUNY Brockport. This was the early 2000s. And that's where I woke up to third parties even more. I mean, yeah, Democrats, Republicans were still by far dominant like everywhere else. But when registering the vote on the form, register for a party, it actually had options to check and Green Party was one of them. You know, so it was a thing. And I remember voting in the 2002 gubernatorial election. Yeah, Each party had its own line, too. Like it said, Republican Party, Democrat Party, Green Party, Libertarian Party, each having their own party logo next to it, too. Because where I, where I'm from and where I live now, New Jersey, it's Democrat, Republican, and all the rest. It says nomination by petition. And then it'll say, like, the name of their party or their slogan underneath the candidate's name. So it, I just had that sense of like, wow, like, yeah, the, there are other parties and it just added more like legitimacy to it. And then also speaking of the 2002 election, uh, there was an independent or he was in the independence party. I think that's the line he was on uh, Tom Galasano, I think he was more of a, of a moderate or a centrist if I'm remembering correctly. And he actually got a huge chunk of the vote. But he won the county I was in, Monroe County. He actually won that county because he was from there. And people figure, well, he owns a company here. He's a Th- Phil here. So he's done more for this area than any Democrat or Republican has. So that's probably why he yeah. won that county.
1: Yeah, he was the paychecks owner. Exactly. paychecks. had a lot of money to spend. As I remember in that election, he, he wanted to spend more money, but he ran out of billboards and Advertising time on TV. I mean, he yeah. had the most money, um, but he was pretty conservative, particularly when it came to poverty issues. Yeah, one well, of those guys saying if people are poor, it's their own damn fault. Oh yeah. Uh, pretty pretty cold-hearted. Despite the philanthropy, uh, not much for public policy to help people. You know, get a leg up.
0: Yeah, yeah. He voted for Stanley or Ar- 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 however you whatever, however pronounced it. He was the yeah. Green Party candidate then.
1: Stanley Aronowitz, right. Yep,
0: That's right. Yeah, but it just shows that like, yeah, I mean, independent candidates, third party candidates, it just seemed to have like a stronger presence. And that's what really got me even interested even more. Like, yeah, there are other choices. It's just a matter of more people voting for them. So it did hurt me to hear what New York State did recently with making it tougher.
1: Yeah, it's also a matter of changing uh, the single member district winner take all system because that sets up the vote splitting lesser evil problem or or spoiler problem. Um, So a lot of people, particularly in the Trump era, you know, the state party enrollment is two to one Democrat over Republican, but a lot of Democrats feel they gotta vote for the Democrats even if they like the green program better because they gotta oppose the Trump Republicans, even though they have no chance of winning in statewide elections. Um, So what we need is, for those statewide offices, rank choice voting. So, if you like the Greens most, you can rank them first, you rank the Democrats second, and not worry about helping a Trumpy Republican. And in the legislature, we should have multi member districts and rank choice voting among those candidates. So, uh, you get proportional representation. So, if the uh, Green candidates have 20% support in that multi member district, they get a fifth of the seats, you know, 20% of the seats. That way, everybody's included. What we have now, the winner-take-all single member district system is very exclusionary. Whoever gets the plurality in that district gets all the representation. In most districts, because of gerrymandering and just the nature of, you know, some districts are gonna have more of one party than another, everybody else in that district, including Democrats and Republican districts and Republicans and Democratic districts, as well as Greens everywhere, get no representation in their district. And so that's what we really got to change. We can change that. I think you know, 20% is the floor for the Green Party because we know from public opinion polling that the things we advocate, like single payer healthcare and much stronger climate action and taxing the rich and so forth, are very popular and uh, more popular than what we're getting from the Democrats, let alone the Republicans.
0: That's right. And understand uh, outside the realm of politics, uh, you have experience uh, being in the Teamsters union for a while. How was that?
1: Well, it's good to have a union, collectively bargain. You're going to do a lot better than at another company like Amazon or FedEx in the same industry where it's just you against this whole giant company. On the other hand, the Teamsters uh, have their problems, you know, lack of democracy uh, and a tendency for the old Hoffa regime to uh accommodate the bosses rather than fight them when it came contract time. I mean, I had decent contracts, but they were a legacy of the 1997 strike before Hoffman, uh, where in two weeks, UPS said uncle and gave in to all our demands. That increased our pensions, Mm. uh, our wage levels. I mean, it it did a lot of things in healthcare. So that uh, when we came to Later contracts, even though we may have been conceding some things, we were starting from a good level. And unfortunately, you know, in the period I was in there, which was about 20 years, uh, we were doing concessionary bargaining. And so I was in the dissident faction, the teachers for a democratic union, trying to uh, get a new administration in, which uh, happened in the last election last year. Um, and so we'll see, they're just taking office uh, just a few months ago or a couple months ago And hopefully they'll do a lot more organizing, particularly in companies like uh, Amazon and FedEx and Amazon's the big monster out there. If, uh, you know, the Teamsters and others do not organize Amazon, uh, the non-union status of Amazon as well as FedEx is really going to undermine the Teamsters at UPS and the postal workers at the Postal Service. So that's, uh, that's something I'm watching. I'm a retiree now. I don't have a vote in those Teamster elections, but You know, if they try to organize the new hub here for Amazon and they got a picket line, I'll be out there with them.
0: Nice. Glad to hear that.
1: And a
0: long time ago, like late 60s, early 70s, Vietnam War was going on. And you at that time, you were against the Vietnam War, correct? I was. Wow. But you also but, you know, there's a draft going on and everything. And you also went into the Marines. How did that work out?
1: Yeah, well, I was at a low draft number in uh, 1972. They called my number. Ooh. So rather than go right into the army, I enlisted in the Marine Corps and officer program, which enabled me to continue college, even though I didn't have the money. Okay. So I took the training, graduated the program, and I was supposed to go back to college for a couple of years and then, then become a second lieutenant. But I, I wrote to him and said, I don't have the money. Send me to you know Paris Island, I'll just be a a private, you know, and uh they never got back to me. So huh. I ended up being on inactive reserves for my six-year enlistment period after I did my active duty in, in boot camp. Oh wow one summer. So um but I went in, they knew I was anti-war. They had a file on me.
0: Oh okay. But that, that was a period it.
1: when you know even in the Marine Corps, but especially in the Army, uh Vietnam War was not popular with the troops. Uh, you know, it felt it was the wrong war. You know, we had no beef with Vietnam, uh, it was their country. And uh, so, you know, I, particularly among the veterans who had done a tour in duty in Vietnam, were now in college and coming back to become officers, uh, they were pretty supportive of the little dissent I'd raised in like history classes in, in the officer school where they give this crazy history of Vietnam. And I'd say, wait a minute, I read the Pentagon papers. And that's yeah. you, and it said something different. Yeah. And I'd start to tell him, and my drill instructor would call me aside, take me outside, and have me do push-ups. But yeah. <laughs> um, you know, despite that, I, I graduated the program. So it was, it was a period when the anti-war movement had infiltrated the armed forces. That's mm-hmm. why Nixon had to uh, do so-called Vietnamization, where we provided the arms and advisors to the Army of South Vietnam but didn't do so much combat ourselves. And uh, they didn't have any other option because the troops were, you know, basically in revolt. Wow.
0: Wow, so that's interesting. And then that's probably one of the, probably one of the real reasons they did away with the draft and had it in all volunteer military just so, you know, they don't get people who are against whatever they're going in, but since it's all volunteer as they call it, the whole narrative is, well, anybody who's being sent somewhere, they chose to do this. And then it makes it easier for uh, the public to go along with it and not have anything against it because not as many people have a stake in it anymore.
1: Well, and the service members themselves, they say, well, I can't complain because I volunteered for this. Even if they, you know, like we saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, a lot of those uh, service members were Thinking, wait a minute. What did we get ourselves into? Why are we here? This is wrong. Oh yeah. And some of them, like Matthew Hoes Green, running for U.S. Senate, former Marine Corps officer, did tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, by the time uh, Obama was surging in, in Afghanistan in 2009, and Matt was a uh, State Department officer, he resigned in a you know a, a open public letter. Uh, which got a lot of attention. The Council on Foreign Relations calls it essential reading about the uh, Afghan war. So, but he's, he's an exception or most of the dissent happened when people had come back home and were veterans while they're on active duty. Uh, they just didn't feel it was right because they volunteered. <clears throat> and are there any other
0: greens running for any office in New York this election season?
1: Uh, We didn't get a lot of candidates this time. Um, I think that's the legacy. I mean, I think we got a few problems right now. Trump pushed and Sanders pulled a lot of progressives into the Democratic Party over the last five, six years. And uh, the COVID uh, lockdown, you know, our our locals weren't meeting like before. So there's been a diminution of the amount of activity, meetings, activity on the streets, that our locals have done. So we were in a weak position this year, which hurt our petition drive and hurt our candidate recruiting. Um, And I think right now we're in a period, even though uh, most Greens didn't have much uh, faith that Biden could do much, what he could do, he hasn't done. And so there's just a lot of discouragement. It's within the Green Party, but it's in the broader progressive movement. I see it particularly among young people um, you know, the climate is going to hell and they haven't got student debt relief. Um, a lot of progressive reforms they expected did not happen. And so now they're wondering, well, we got rid of Trump and, you know, the Democrats can't do anything either. And so uh, a lot of them are discouraged. And, you know, I think all I tell them is, you are gonna feel better if you're out there fighting instead of sitting at home, reading the Internet and getting, getting depressed. You know, you just go feel better if you're out there fighting for what's right. Collectively with other people, I think post-COVID, we got to rebuild our local organizations because we're all going to be smarter and stronger if we work together rather, rather than just being keyboard warriors.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. And yeah, this whole lesser evil uh, duopoly thing is just becoming a race to the bottom because yeah, there's a whole anyone, but Trump, anyone, but you know, candidates who are like that, who go for that type of policy. And then even in New York state alone, like all, just the disgrace with uh, Andrew Cuomo and the disgrace he bought to is a, you know, to the party as a whole, it's like, you know, are these really the only options come on? So yeah, People keep sitting out, then yeah, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. If they keep giving into having to flip a coin between two evils, which one is the lesser, it's still going to keep getting worse and worse. So yeah, people really need to, if they, you know, really vote their conscience and really do what they can to make it happen, and really make sure these other options are available.
1: Yeah, and it's getting worse for you know progressives like the Greens because the Republicans have become so extreme. They're anti-democratic, they're racist. Um, And the Democrats then feel, well, we can accommodate to our right to get some of those center-right voters. So, you know, we had what have been called the largest demonstrations in American history after the George Floyd murder, and there was some movement toward uh, criminal justice reform and police reform. Now it's going the other way. And the Democrats are trying to be more law and order than the Republicans, which they're not going to be, but the whole dynamic is to the right. Oh, yeah. Because the Republicans are extreme, a lot of progressives feel they got to vote for the Democrats to stop the Republicans. So it's even worse. It's not Tweedledee, tweedledum. It's it's you know fascism versus corporate neoliberalism. And people say, well, corporate neoliberalism is a fascism, so we'll vote for that to stop the fascism which makes it hard for those of us on the left, you know, to get a hearing and get votes. That's why I've emphasized, we need to push for ranked choice voting and proportional representation uh, to change that dynamic. So people can vote for what they really want and not worry that it's gonna help what they really don't want.
0: Exactly. And I've been hearing a lot about ranked choice voting when interviewing other candidates. I did a whole episode on ranked choice voting as well. And I know New York City had ranked choice voting for their primary, but what about the general elections is where it needs to happen?
1: Yeah, well, that's part of the inclusive democracy reforms that we're pushing for. You know, that was done by the Democratic Party. They knew they'd have a large primary for uh, mayor and other offices. And ranked choice voting is a good way to sort that out. Um, But they didn't want to have it in the general election because it would give the you know, parties like the Greens, uh, a level playing field, so people wow. can vote for what they really want. So they limited it to their own primary, um, which is you know, that's what you do when you have a one-party government. That's what New York is. I mean, the Republicans are there for show to give the illusion of choice. Yeah, the Democrats run it from top to bottom, and particularly in New York City, I think they have something like fifty uh, city councilors, and only three are Republicans. So, you know, it's a one party city.
0: Wow. Yeah. And I know in the past, like when I lived in New York state, there, there was a, I did see a Republican get elected to a third term as governor, as Pataki. And now is three terms, the most amount of terms a governor could have in New York state or is there just unlimited terms?
1: Yeah. There are no term limits in New York for governor. Wow.
0: Do you think there should be or no?
1: I do. I think two terms uh, like we have for president is a good number for chief executive officers and executive officers generally. Um, and I think we ought to have term limits for legislators, you know, maybe something like 12 years, you know, six two-year terms. Um, you don't want to have those too short because you want legislators with experience who can handle all the lobbyists who swarm... You know albany and washington and uh you know if you're just all rookie legislators or you know legislators without much experience you're going to get overwhelmed by the lobbyists oh yeah the information and you know full-time paid people more than you got uh, working on their issues so you want some experience but you don't want them entrenched there for life where they begin to take their constituents for granted and uh, given the nature of one party, most districts are one party districts, one of the other major party has the majority. So we don't have competitive elections. You know, nationwide, the political scientists say 95% of state legislative districts are uncompetitive. And 90% of House of Representative districts are uncompetitive. So, you know, why bother to vote? You know who's going to win. And I think that's a big reason why we have low turnout in elections, because people say, well, we know who's going to win. They don't need me to vote whether I vote for them or against them, it's, you know, I can vote and vote and vote and I'm still gonna have the same person representing me. So why bother? That's what we get with single member district winner take all elections. And it's something we really got to change if we want a a real democracy where, you know, ideas get debated and people can vote for who they really want.
0: Yeah, because the current, the state I live in, New Jersey, I mean, the state legislative districts are gerrymandered as well you know, slightly in favor of Democrats. And there's one state senator for each, but for the General Assembly, there's two members of General Assembly to each. So at least there's more, at least in that regard, there's more than one person representing in the Assembly. But again, it's always, but it's so gerrymandered that it it ends up being this, both of them from the the same party anyway.
1: (laughs) It's the top two vote getters. So if you're in a democratic district, they're gonna be Democrats. If you're in a Republican district, it's going to be Republican. Yeah. So if you have, you know, winner take all elections in multi-member districts, it doesn't change anything. No. You have a proportional representation so that each party gets representation in proportion to the vote it gets. And then then, you know, everybody, the debate continues after the election in the legislature. And you'll have more than two parties. And you're going to have a much more constructive dynamic because... In a two party system, it pays to go negative. Because if you can you know, attack your opponent, you may have mud on your hands, but you got mud all over them. And, but in a three or four or five party system, you got to build different coalitions around different issues. So you don't want to burn bridges by going too negative on everybody. And if you do go negative, then you're going to go down because people don't like negativity. They want positive results. So a multi-party democracy is going to, get a lot more done than what we got now with the gridlock we've got. We got gridlock like in Washington, and then we get steamrolling in states like New York, which the Democrats dominate. Exactly.
0: So before we close out, is there anything you want to plug or promote or any way that uh, people could help your campaign or learn more about it?
1: Well, the uh, website for our gubernatorial campaign is hawkinsmatera.org. Matera, spelled M-A-T-T-E-R-A. Uh, the presidential campaign website still up, Us. And I guess the thing we haven't talked about, it's not something you know, that a gubernatorial candidate talks much about, but it's something we gotta talk about is the growing militarism uh, in this country. The military budget keeps growing. We're modernizing our nuclear weapons. We're engaged in wars all over the world. I mean, Turkey's about to invade the Kurds uh, in Rojava um, and that looks like the US is gonna green light that, which is another aggressive war like the Russians invading Ukraine, because that's the price of getting Finland and Sweden into NATO because otherwise mm-hmm. uh, Turkey's gonna veto that because they consider the Kurds to be terrorists. And wow. the Kurds of course are the largest uh, ethnic group nation in the world without you know a state where they're not you know, persecuted, they're they're spread across four states, Turkey, uh, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. And then, you know, in in, uh, the Ukraine, um, you know, the US is not clear on its objectives. I mean, Biden has said, uh, you know, the goal is to help uh, Ukraine defend itself from an aggressive war by Russia. But then he expands that and, and other administration spokespeople and people in the National security establishments say it's a proxy war with Russia. We want to weaken Russia, Mm. which is a different objective. And it's not going to help the Ukrainians defend themselves. So we've got to, you know, protest that expansion of what it's about. I mean, I'm for sending arms to the Ukrainians so they can defend themselves, but I'm not for using them in a proxy war with Russia. That's wrong. So there's there's a whole lot of things around. Uh, foreign and military policy that are not debated in Congress and uh, in our country. It's kind of off the radar. And that's so important and why we need, you know, the Green Party to challenge this bloated, you know, military budget with all the waste, fraud, and abuse in it. And, you know, the threats to peace all over the world that it it, it encompasses because, you know, we are we got our military on over 800 foreign military bases. We're in intervening in all kinds of you know, civil conflicts with military uh, answers to things that are often requiring political and humanitarian solutions. So that's a whole area where, uh, you know, why we need a Green Party to exactly. give an alternative perspective on that. Exactly. Well,
0: that about does it. Thank you for your time, Howie Hawkins, and good luck in November.
1: Thank you. All right.
0: Again, the campaign site is hawkinsmatera.org. That's H-A-W-K-I-N-S-M-A-T-E-R-A.org. Be sure to sign petitions of candidates you like running in your area to be on the ballot if they haven't achieved the signature requirement yet. It's important to have more than just two choices. Find more Green Party candidates running in this year's general election? Visit gp.org. If interested in finding candidates from the Libertarian Party in this year's election, you can find them at lp.org. Or for any other parties or independents running in your area, keep your eyes and ears peeled. There are sites like Ballotpedia and Vote411 that can sometimes be helpful. To hear more episodes of The Andrew Miller Show, future or previous, find The Andrew Miller Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other platforms such as Radio Public, Pocket Casts, and Overcast. You can also follow The Andrew Miller Show on Facebook, Remember, let's move forward together, and for now, peace out.